So how do you discern like on a day, do you write it out the day before? Do you get up in the morning and you're like, okay, here's what I need to work on. Is it just kind of like, you know, random? A lot of wisdom in that question, buddy. Um, I think it's one of the most important questions that you could possibly ask anybody who is kind of doing what you want to be doing, right? And having, having great levels of success. And um, I would say it changes. Today's episode features Tim Brotz. Tim is a real estate investor that has built a passive business and created a residual income that allows him to live the lifestyle of his choice. Boy, that sure sounds nice. Well, lucky for you, he's here today to educate and empower others to become financially free through commercial real estate. Welcome to the Instant Leverage Podcast. All right, we're here with Tim Bratz. Uh, what's up, man? How are you? Doing great. How are you doing? Dude, fantastic. Um, I'm a big fan. I think I found you on Instagram and uh, I've been watching your like, you know, Tim Spills the Beans series, Yeah. Uh, which I like the for. I really like the format of that and the things that you've been sharing on that. And it's really introspective and gives me like little nuggets to think about. But I want to know, like, I haven't been able to, to, to hear a lot about your actual story and like how you got started. Um, I saw, I think you, in one of your Instagram stories, you mentioned that you had like 600 bucks in your bank account in like 2012. Uh, if I'm thinking about that correctly. Yeah, it was, it was actually like 80 bucks. Like I was, I was looking, I, I, I looked at one of the months that it was like 600 and then the, the following month it was like $80. I was like, man, it goes, it was pretty skinny for a couple of, a couple of years there. Okay. So how did we, how did we get there? And then how did we get back to where you are now? Yeah, man. Um, and uh, fast forward, like today, I have over 4,000 rental properties or all apartments for the most part with a couple of like pretty unique properties. I got this big, amazing castle up on a mountain. I've just bought an island. And so um, own over $400 million of property today, but you know, wasn't the same 12 or I guess nine years ago. So uh, when I first got started, in real estate and entrepreneurship and all that kind of stuff. I was in college and everybody's like, get involved in real estate, right? Because everybody's making money in real estate at that time. That was like, oh, three to oh seven. I was, uh, I was going through college. So the market's going crazy. And if you got a pulse, you're making money in real estate. And so I, I jumped into real estate in 2007 when I graduated from college. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio originally, but I moved out to New York City. And I thought you got involved in real estate by getting your real estate license. So got my real estate license out in New York and I parked it with a brokerage that happened to be doing commercial real estate, like retail leases, office leases, they would broker that kind of stuff, a little bit on the investment sales side. And uh, um, when I was out there, I brokered this, this lease. It was a you know dumpy little side street, 400 square foot space. And we signed a lease for $10,000 a month on a 12-year lease term with 4% annual increases. And I just remember doing the math as a kid who was money motivated, um, wanting to you know, make a lot of money. And I was like, holy cow, this landlord is going to make almost 2 million bucks over the next 12 years for something he did once. And he had another seven retail spaces and another 10 stories of apartments above it. And I was like, I can't imagine what, you know, how much this guy's bringing in just from this one building, you know, let alone all the other properties and stuff that he owned. And so I was like, I need to be owning real estate, not brokering real estate. So I moved down to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, just kind of on a whim and I uh, wanted some better weather and quality of life, heard some good things about Charleston. And when I moved down there, I just, I went through that whole phase of studying everything and following the gurus and 
buying courses and attending web- webinars and seminars and all that kind of stuff. And just realized I wasn't going to like learn how to invest in real estate by just reading about it in a book. I needed to go out and actually do deals. Um, it's like swimming, right? You can't learn how to swim by reading about swimming in a book. You actually got to get in the water and actually tread water. And, um, and that's what I ended up doing. I was like, let me just jump into real estate. Let me go and buy something. And right when I made that decision, the entire market collapsed. So this is end of 2008. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, run from real estate. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> and so I, uh, it was actually good, though, because um, prices had, had fallen dramatically. And I was able to get into a dumpy little duplex, the cheapest house on the entire MLS I bought for $14,000 on my credit card in 2009. And so I, I bought it. I fixed it all up. I physically did all the work to it, paint, flooring, fixtures, landscaping, held an open house, sold it to one of the neighbors for 33 grand, um, about 110 days later. And so I made about 13, 14,000 after it was all said and done. And, um, I was like, damn, everybody's saying don't do real estate. I just made the biggest check of my entire life at that time. And, uh, it was my first deal and I was 23 years old and you know, the worst housing recession ever. So I was like, let me go do it again. I went so where, where again. on this timeline, sorry to interrupt. Where on this timeline, did you have the, were you at like the 80 bucks in your bank account? Was that like college or no, no. So that was 2012. So this is a couple of years later. Okay. So I had, um, so I, I bought that house, fixed it all up, did it again, got into wholesaling. And then I got into like some private money and some people who had some cash, but didn't have the, the, the knowledge, didn't have the time, didn't have the bandwidth to go and do deals. I did the work, they put up the money and I built up a portfolio of about 10, 10 properties, 10 rental properties, including my own primary home, which I was house hacking to a couple of my buddies. And then um, and I had nine rentals and I was self-managing it and I wasn't rich, but I was essentially financially free. My monthly residual income uh, exceeded, covered all my operating expenses, covered all my debt service, covered all my personal expenses and left me with like 500 bucks a month. And at that time, I thought I had it figured out, right? I was 25 years old and I'm, I'm by definition financially free. Uh, again, not wealthy, not rich, but I was, you know, my monthly residual exceeded my monthly expenses. And so... I um, went and made a bunch of stupid decisions and I, I bought a Mercedes and I joined a private club and I um, took some fancy vacations that I couldn't afford. And then I chased some shiny objects um, were like, you know, new up and coming business opportunities and that kind of stuff to the point where like drank the juice and sold off my nine rental properties that, that were sustaining me. Um, and I sold those off because I was traveling for this other business opportunity. What was the, what was the other business? Just curious. It was a network marketing business. Okay. So it was a network marketing business that essentially multi-level marketing that dealt with services that were uh, everyday essential services, cell phone, TV, internet, home security, uh, electricity, natural gas, things that made a lot of sense. You know, you're like, oh, I could go and broker these services. Uh, to all these different tenants and all these different real estate investors and all these people that I know, and I can make a residual on their bills and I don't have to have the overhead. And it made a lot of sense initially. And then after two years of me just pounding the pavements and trying to grow that business, realize all the money's made from building a team and not really in the residual because there's not any margin in a cell phone, right? Like there's not any margin uh, unless you have literally tens of millions of customers you can't really make real money, life-changing money with that stuff. And, um, and uh, yeah, I just didn't like the, 
I go and recruit, recruit, and you know, build a team. I learned a ton about entrepreneurship. Learned a ton about personal development. Learned a ton about uh, philosophy and mindset, and met amazing people through there. Many of which I still do business with, or are private money lenders of mine today. Um, but it, it, like, dude, in two years I made like yeah. sixty thousand dollars. Two and a half years I made sixty thousand dollars total. You know, so and quick it's like, question. Um, you kind of you mentioned that you were financially free at the point where your passive income was covering your living expenses. Do you think that for the average person, let's say who really wants to go big in entrepreneurship, it's important to focus on that first and then try to go big? Or do you think it's just go big right away? Because I've noticed for, for me, at least like having passive income, it makes me more likely to take bigger risks because I'm like, well, you know, shit hits a fan. I could live in one of my rental units or I could, uh, and, and I could sustain myself from that versus before when I had no rentals, it was just like, you know, I, I thought about the downside a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's a great question. And, um, <clears throat> uh, I, I mean, for, for me, once you have that baseline covered and you know, you have like a, a safety net in place, it definitely gives you the confidence to go and take uh, take on bigger opportunities. And I, and I think some people perceive bigger opportunities as more risky. They're not, right? They're actually some of the more stable and safer type of investments and opportunities that are out there, some of the bigger stuff. Um, it's just because it's more zeros, it's seen as, oh, it must be more risky or something. It's not at all. So um, I, I definitely believe it gives you the confidence to get into some of that stuff because you're like, hey, worst case scenario, I move into one of my rentals. I, I can at least cover my, you know, my, my car payment, put food on the table, put clothes on my back and make sure my family's safe kind of a thing. And uh, I, I do believe that it does that. But I think, man, when you're first getting started in entrepreneurship, your number one goal is generating revenue, generating as much revenue as you possibly can in as short of amount of time as you possibly can. Revenue solves all problems. The more revenue you can generate, the more systems you can put in place, the more people you can hire, the more errors and screw-ups you can make and, and kind of take care of it and clean up um, whatever and, and just kind of brush it under the rug because it's not derailing you financially because you're just printing money and, and generating more and more revenue. So for me, man, I, I think in the first, if you're like, in, I, I would want to get to a million dollars in gross revenue immediately before I even thought about anything else. And if that's buying rental property and that's how you're going to generate that revenue, go ahead and do that. If it's flipping houses or if it's some other traditional business and you're selling widgets, then go and do that. But I wouldn't focus on anything else other than generating, getting up to a million dollars in gross revenue annually. And then I'd work on, you know, really starting to build out the team and really starting to, you know, acquire other passive income producing assets. Um, that's, that's yeah, how people ask me, like, if, if I think they should uh, house hack first or should they just go after like a, a flip or an apartment deal or whatever. And uh, I'm just now starting to think about a, ha a house hack. Um, granted, I like personally, I've been doing real estate for a year and managed to get to 12 units in that time. Um, but at first I wasn't thinking, although I was in a very different like financial position, I guess, than most people um, starting out in real estate. So for me, I just thought about like, okay, how can I, my, my first thought was like, how can I just park this money that I have? It's just kind of sitting yeah. here. Um, but for a while, all I focused on was revenue generation. And uh, I didn't really think about, you know, how, like, 
building passive income or anything like that. I just focused on active income for a while. Um, and that's another thing. Like, I feel like a lot of people try to focus on passive income without figuring out the, the active income part. Yeah. And that, that was actually me. I was never really good at making active income until a few years ago. I was, but I was really good. Like, and, and there's, there's essentially, you know, there's the active and there's passive, right? I was really good at finding passive income producing assets and generating passive income, but I didn't have any of my own money to go and put into that. So I'd have to go and raise money and I syndicate it, put it all together. I pay the investors great. And then I'd have passive income and then I could generate, you know, a greater net worth for myself. Um, a lot of other people are, re- are a lot better than me at generating active earned income, uh, but they have no idea how to deploy it. I like that I know how to invest money versus just generate revenue. Um, but now I know how to do both, right? And then it makes it, uh, uh, it amplifies it that much more. Uh, but early on, man, I was only good at just creating more passive income than I was at generating active income. So dude, I think you can go either route. I think you just need to understand what is the end, end goal? What is the destination that you want to reach? And then you can reverse engineer the path to get there. What I don't want to see is somebody focus on just generating revenue and then stay on that hamster wheel their entire life, right? And never right. create passive. You know, I, I think you either get really good at creating passive income. And then um, once that's really dialed in, then you can focus on generating active income as well, or you generate active income. And once that's dialed in, go and focus on the passive income side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's also true because a lot of people, they're really good at the active income. Like a lot of my friends and business partners really good at active income, but then they have just a huge pile of money and they're like, I don't know what to do with this. I, like I have no idea. Do, dude. None of um, them do. So you, if you are the passive income person with no money, you are extremely valuable to people with money, which is also a really good place to be. Great point. Um, so not to derail the story, I want to kind of get back to your story. Uh, so you sold these nine rentals. You d- you went all in on this network marketing. It didn't quite work out. Um, what happened to the the capital from the sales of the of those burned, assets? Burned, burned through it, man. Um, so and some of like my seller finance. Yeah. So I burned through that. And some of my seller finance where um, I didn't get all the cash right out of the gate. So I had like a down payment, paid down some debts to kind of clean some stuff up, get put some money in my own pocket. And then, um, but you know, at five years in the future, they were going to refinance and then pay me back a bunch more of a spread on, uh, on those sales. So um, I didn't get all my money and and it was pretty easy to burn through the cash that I did have from that Mm -hmm. initial transaction. Um, And then I just, you know, but, you know, I was putting 30,000 miles a year on my car and driving all around and staying at hotels and staying at friends' houses and all that stuff and just burned through the cash. And um, it got to a point where uh, I was like, what the fuck? What, what am I doing, dude? And I had it figured out with real estate. I'm going back into real estate. And real estate's what saved me. I went and sold my primary home here in Charleston and uh, I made 50 grand on it. And I was able to pay down my $25,000 of credit card debt, pad the bank account. I moved back in back up to Cleveland, back in with my parents for a year. Um, how old were you at this point? 27. Damn. So that's exactly how old I am. So at my age, like I can't imagine like eating that humble pie, <laughs> especially like I, I talked a lot of shit to my, it was like a relief though, man. It was a relief at the same time, you know, but uh, sorry, what were you saying? You talked a lot. I, I talked a lot of shit to my high school friends. Like, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm not going to college and all that stuff. So then like, if so right I. now I had to move back in with my mom, I'd be like, damn, like I would personally, I'd be like, damn, I fucked up. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's, it, and that's what was going through my head, man. So it was a relief. And then, uh, I mean, but I could see like 
how I'd be like, all right, well, you know, whatever, hit the reset button and that was two it. to three years, I'll have it back. And that um, was it. I, you know, I was like, hey, I, let me just, uh, again, going back to the roadmap, I knew what the destination was. I knew I was going to get there. I had to be real about where was my starting point, you know? And a lot of people are like, oh, I'm over here. And they, they don't have a true path because it's not really where they are, right? And I was just like, okay, let me just swallow this pill. Let me, let me eliminate all the debt. Let me just clean up all that stuff. Like that's going to be number one while I'm building up the portfolio. How old are you right and now? Just if you don't mind. Okay, cool. So this was nine years ago. Yep. yep. So in nine years, you've basically gone from, you know, living with your parents to like buying an island and all this, all this crazy shit. Yeah. So, and, and, and so dude, like uh, some of those people that I met in that network marketing company came to me and they said, Hey, I got some money. Let me put it with you. And I created an exclusive partnership with those guys for about three years. Dude, the crazy thing is, uh, sorry to cut you off. I'm, I'm okay. bad about cutting people off. No, the good. crazy thing is now that I'm like, I, like I told you, I've been doing real estate. I decided I wanted to be a full-time real estate investor in November. Um, I went full-time in March. And since then, so many people have hit me up like, hey, I got money. I, I don't know what to do with it. Let's do something. Yeah. Can I put money in one of your deals? Like before I was even ready. And I'm like, guys, I, like, I don't even feel like I have this all figured out yet. Yeah. And people are like throwing money at me. So that's when I realized like, if you're the deal maker, you're, you're valuable. Like there's so, so. right now, at least there's way more people that with money than there is people that can create deals. Yep. So, uh, so back to what you were saying, uh, you got into the, so I partnered with those guys up in Cleveland and I built a portfolio over the course of about three years, about 140 doors. And you weren't um, putting up any capital at this point. No, no. I did all the work and I own a third of the business. They own two thirds of the business and put up about a million bucks over the course of the time. And so um, the th what you find though, is like my value kept on increasing and then they stopped putting in money. So their value stayed decreased, level, right? right? And, and essentially decreased. And like they, we kept on hitting these, uh, these ceilings and it got to a point where it's just like, Hey, let's just, it actually got really, really ugly. And they're like, whatever. But um, we lawyered up and, you know, kind of went at each other and, um, after a couple of weeks, we're like, the only people getting rich here are going to be the attorneys. Let's just liquidate everything. And so we liquidated that portfolio in 2015, 2016. And so I've been building my own portfolio since then. So like the end of 2015, so about six years uh, is, is how long has it taken me to, to build up 4,800 doors. And we transacted many more on top of that. Um, so you cashed out a third of the equity on- But dude, it was, it was before the market is what it is today. You know, So like I made- half a million bucks or something on it, but it wasn't like anything crazy. I don't even know if it was that much, 400, something like that. Um, it was good. You know, it kind of put some, put some, gave me a little bit of, of revenue as I was regrowing my, my existing company, hiring a team. And we, we got back into flipping turnkey houses. We started a management company and um, shoveled shit for another couple of years. But dude, I had to press that reset button in 2012. I had to press it again in 2015, 2016. And, um, and really just started focusing on apartments full time in 2017 again. Nice. So it's been about so, yeah, four years. So you cash out, you got a 400K payday, uh, had to pay taxes on that. So probably 300 or so. Um, you took that 300 and you're like, okay, now I have 300. Was it, and you were still, I'm assuming you were living pretty cheaply. Were you still with, with your parents or were you, had you moved out or what? Yeah, no. no. So I um, actually, I got uh, engaged and married. And um, moved into a family house of my wife's grandparents. So it was like a 900 square foot bungalow, three bed, one bath. And um, we didn't have any rent to pay. All we had to do is cover utilities and insurance and taxes. And that was it. So it was like 
three, 400 bucks a month or something like that. Nice. So then at that point you're looking like, okay, well, I did that from 2012 up until, or I guess 2013, 2014 and into 2015. Um, yeah. So it was like three or four years living in that house. Right. Nice. So at that point you're like, well, my, my expenses are like four or 500 bucks a month and I got a couple hundred thousand dollars. What was your, what was like the day after that happened? What was your thought process of like, all right, here's what I'm going to do next. Or did, did you know, or were you like, okay, now I got to figure it out. That, you know, it was like that, I, I, that partnership was going down uh, a road where I did it like, you know, I could get into it if you want me to, but they were paying me a salary. Right. And then they took that away after like 15 months. Right. And then all of a sudden there were just a lot of little things that I knew it right. wasn't going the right direction. And then we'd make money and they wouldn't distribute any cash. Uh, they just wanted to reinvest everything. And they had another business that they made money from. It could pay the tax liability. Mm-hmm. I didn't, right. This is all my income. So like they wouldn't even distribute cash to pay the tax liability. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I got to pay taxes on money that I don't have. And um, so I had, I started brokering real estate again. I got my license again. I started wholesaling a little bit of stuff. And then they wanted 67% of all my real estate commissions um, from brokering things. Jeez. And I was like, dude, are you guys out of your mind? And that's, that's what ended up, you know, why, why we ended up lawyering up, but I was actually pretty good at brokering some stuff. And I had made um, uh, a couple of bucks in like 2014, towards the end of 2014 and then into 2015, right. When we decided to liquidate. So I had a little bit of a safety net mm-hmm. and I had some things going on just on the wholesale side. And then once that, that exclusive partnership was gone, I could go and start flipping houses and doing all sorts of stuff and buying and holding on my own again, which, you know, we just kind of amplified. So it, um, yeah, it, it, <clears throat> it allowed me to just kind of go and do my own thing and uh, partner up with new people and bring on other private money lenders and just, build up the network in a way that I couldn't have when I was partnered up with them. So then how did we go from there to now 4,000 units plus? Dude, joined a mastermind in 2015. And um, I was doing everything. I was doing all the work. I was finding the deals, raising the money, signing the loans, um, managing contractors, collecting rent, placing tenants, leasing units, doing walkthroughs, doing evictions, going to court, uh, disposition of the property, all dude, everything. I was doing everything. And I was like, how the hell do people actually build a business? How, how is it done? Like, how do you build a team? Like, how do, how do you go from me where I am solopreneur to actually having a, a, a business, a real business where it's not just a job for me. And, um, and I went out to a mastermind in, in February of 2015 and the people in the room were like, dude, you just got to hire somebody, right? You got to hire an assistant, start with an assistant, just start with one. Right. And I was like, can't be that easy. They're like, yeah, just hire an assistant and um, have them take all the non-revenue generating activities off your plate. You just focus on generating revenue. And uh, and I ended up, I don't know, is it going to happen? I don't know if it's going to happen, but everybody else in that room was where I wanted to be. So let me just take a blind leap of faith and uh, do what they told me to do. <clears throat> and I ended up hiring an assistant on March 1st of 2015. And in the next 10 months, dude, I made 400 grand, made three times what I had made the year before. Nice. So this it was point, just like, you're 30, you're like 30, 31 years old. 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Just okay. 30. So three years after you were living at your parents' house. Yep. Yep. And um, yeah, man. So I, I put my head down and, and so I hired that assistant and then I brought out an intern a few months later. And then I had some like some guys that I, that I knew that I liked and we'd kind of co-wholesaled some stuff together. And we did a lot of deals together and cut more of a joint venture type thing. Cause I couldn't afford to bring them on payroll. So I just kind of joint ventured on a deal by deal basis with them. And then eventually by the end of 2014, 
I was at a place where, um, I'm sorry, end of, end of 2015 was, uh, was at a place where I was like, I need this guy full-time. So I stroked, stroked a check, had him come on board full-time. He quit his job and um, he turned into my COO today. And, uh, and then during this time in 2015, 2016 is when like the properties started liquidating from that previous partnership. So it's not like I just got a lump sum of 400 grand. It was like property oh, okay. sold. Okay. Tim gets this much. Okay. Property sold. Okay. Tim, get, you know, and I had like pay down their, their money first. And then I started getting pops in like 2016. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's, that's what we ended up doing. We got it. We started a turnkey business with the, with the guys, my assistant, my intern, my uh, project manager I hired, and then uh, my COO that I ended up hiring, and there were like five of us, and we just we just put our heads down, man, and we start, we had a turnkey business. We were flipping about eighty to hundred houses a year, but they were like cheap houses. So we we would resell these things for forty to sixty thousand dollars. They were just like with a tenant in place, yeah, with a tenant in place, management in place, fully renovated, and uh, in good shape. Uh, but in C class and D class neighborhoods, you know, but it's white collar professionals who just, they didn't want to do anything, but they wanted passive income and they wanted mm-hmm. equity upside. And so we would, we would flip out these houses. Um, and then it started into a management company. So we started property management and then, um, you know, started doing a little bit on the, on the apartment stuff again, as we liquidated with those guys, uh, with my previous partners. And, and that turned into me building up, I don't know, a couple hundred units and uh, I remember going on vacation in 2017, August of 2017, and looking at my personal financial statement, like my net worth statement, um, and just kind of reviewing what am I doing, right? Like, where do I want to be? You know, we're flipping houses, we're buying some apartments, we're doing turnkey, we got um, the management company, like, where is the best return on my time? And I realized my apartments were 90% of my net worth, and it was like 10% of my time. And I was like, wow. damn, what if I go all in on apartments? And that's what I ended up doing. That following Monday, I came in, dude, we burned the ships on, on the turnkey business. Anything that was in the pipeline, we, we saw through. But otherwise, we didn't take down another deal after that. And we just focused on buying apartment buildings. And dude, the universe responded. It's like an 11 unit came across our desk. It needed too much work, but we wholesaled it. We made $87,000 on that, which to me was like, a, like our average wholesale fee was like seven grand before. So that was like mm-hmm. 11, 12 deals. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and then what else we do? We got uh, um, bought a 14 unit, flipped that out, made 150 grand on that. We bought um, a 24 unit and kept it. We bought a 20 unit and kept it. We bought a 14 unit, a 36 unit, a 24 unit. Like, dude, we just kept on growing the portfolio organically, just scrapping and scraping and just buying anything that was a good deal in order to build the balance sheet, in order to build, you know, my, my, uh, and you were portfolio. funding these, how are you funding these private money and bank loans? Okay. Yep. Um, dude, I've only used 125 grand of my own cash in my $400 million portfolio. Dude, that's insane. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And so, um, cause you realize how much money there is out there and people how bad they want some sort of predictable, stable, fixed return yeah. backed by a real asset instead of just fugazi, fugazi, stock market bullshit. You know yeah. what I mean? So uh, like all we have to do is we just have to educate people, right? Like we're like, oh, I got to sell somebody on investing with you. No, you don't. Just educate them that this even exists. And they'll be like, I'm in, right? <laughs> and just- Dude, that's how like my Instagram is. Like I just post everything that I do. And Mm -hmm. so many people hit me up like, Hey, how can I do a deal with you? Like, how can you show me like what you're doing or whatever? And, uh, it's crazy because growing up, like I grew up super poor, single mother, 
didn't meet my dad till I was eight years old. And uh, so I thought I grew up thinking nobody had money ever. And the only people that had money were like people that you just would never know of or never meet. So I, I noticed that I carried that thought process into adulthood. And then once I started my last uh, business instant leverage, which we were providing virtual assistance for uh, marketing agencies. And I would talk to so many people that just had money to just throw at something just to see if it's going to work. And uh, that started shifting my perspective. And then I really started thinking about it. And I'm like, dude, every building that you see as you're rolling down the street is owned by someone who's probably a millionaire. Mm -hmm. So then I started thinking about it. I'm like, dude, I I drive by thousands of, of buildings per day. And all of those people are probably millionaires or close. And then they're going to die and pass that down to their kids who are going to buy a house and that house is going to be paid off by the time they're dead. And then they're going to pass that down. So I'm like, there's so much wealth and there's so much money around, but there is no button that you can press right now that would find you a great deal. Like you have to work and grind for that. So that was a huge shift for me because I like our last deal, I put it under contract. Literally the last thing I thought about was like, how am I going to pay for this? Yep. That was like, I was like, this is a good deal. Put it under contract before even thinking about the money. And then I did the due diligence and all that stuff. And then I figured out the money part. And that was honestly the easiest part. So it's kind of a, a huge shift when you, when you talk to somebody like you, it's a great reminder because everybody's like, oh, I need to get rich first. And then I'll, I'll invest in real estate rather than I will get rich by investing in real estate. Exactly. So that's an excellent, excellent point. So what, a what, a what motivates you to like get up and two, two part question, what motivates you to do this? And then how do you determine where you spend your time? Cause that's the hardest thing for me on a day-to-day basis is like, well, is my time better spent doing some mailers or talking to brokers or uh, texting apartment owners or going to this real estate apartment meetup? So how do you determine like, what's the highest value use of your time? Because I feel like Man. discerning that is probably like the number one key to growing a really big business. Because we all have the same, we all heard like we all have the same 24 hours, whatever. Uh, Jeff Bezos could probably work 10 hours a week while I work 60 and he'd still make more money than me because mm-hmm. he knows where to spend his time. So mm-hmm. how do you discern like on a day, do you write it out the day before? Do you get up in the morning and you're like, okay, here's what I need to work on. Is it just kind of like, you know, random? A lot of wisdom in that question, buddy. Um, I think it's one of the most important questions that you could possibly ask anybody who is kind of doing what you want to be doing, right? And having having great levels of success. And um, I would say it changes or it change it has changed in different stages, right? When I was broke, it's because I was doing a bunch of shit that didn't matter. It was a bunch of non-revenue generating gen, non-revenue generating activities. I was creating business cards and I was like doing a bunch of shit that didn't actually drive revenue. In real estate, there are three things that drive revenue. Deal flow, money flow, and whatever your exit strategy is, whether that's dispositions or it's like refining your your rental operations, one of those two, right? Um, So if you're not sourcing deals every single day, you're not doing real estate. If you're not raising money every single day, you're not doing real estate. And if you're not uh, uh, either dispositioning properties or refining your operations on properties, you're not doing real estate. Those are the only three things that if you're in business growth mode, that you should be focused on. That's it. Every single day. And I went through highs and lows and ebbs and flows um, and these, these feast and famine cycles of 
dude, I go and source a bunch of deals, right? We did a bunch of marketing, a bunch of mailers, put all this money out there and all this deal flow start coming in. I'd be like, stop the mailers, right? We've got to deal with all this deal flow. Yeah. We take one, take them down and we close on them and all this. And then all of a sudden, you know, when I was like, all right, these are taken care of, Like, what's in the pipeline. There'd be nothing. It'd be like uh, just scraps in the, in the, I'm like, where are all the frigging deals? Oh, no shit, Tim. You turned off the spigot of marketing in order to get deal flow coming in. You need to be doing it, sourcing deals every single day in order to have consistent deal flow, right? Your goal is to take, let's just balance the deal flow with the money flow eventually, right? So it's, you want to always be sourcing deals regardless of how many deals are in your pipeline. You want to always be sourcing capital and talking to private money lenders regardless of how much, how much access to capital you have. And then your, your job is just kind of like balance those things out. Very, very, it uh, doesn't happen often that, you know, you're either usually money heavy or you're deal heavy. And very rarely are you both at the same time, right. you know, <laughs> but if you can try to keep that balanced, dude, that's a really good position to be in. And then, um, and then just making sure your exit strategy on, all, on whatever your deals are is dialed in. So if that's refining your operations and property management, just make sure that that's taken care of. It's going smooth because you can buy deals by raising money and sourcing deals, but you, you got to keep them by having your operations dialed in. So making sure that that's, that's squared away and you got somebody really taking care of that is, is a really important piece. Um, so that was very important as I grew my business. Today, I have a team in place that handles each one of those things. I have an, an acquisitions director who just sources deals all day, every single day. I have a chief investment officer who's just raising money, talking to investors all day, every day. And then I have a COO who's my, on charge of operations, who's just refining operations and making sure everything's moving and on all cylinders all day, every single day. So now what is the highest and best use of my time? Today, it's doing stuff like this, man. It's doing almost non-quantifiable things that I don't know what can come from this. JR, you might come from come across a deal that you're like, hey man, this is a little bit too, too big of a bite for me to take, uh, take a bite out of this deal. Let me see if I can loop Tim in. And maybe it's 150 units that's a grand slam deal. I'm able to come in, get a piece of that action. You're able to get into a deal that you couldn't have gotten into. I'm able to get into a deal that I couldn't have gotten into. And all of a sudden it creates $6 million of equity between, between us and any other partners that are involved in that, right? Like not quantifiable. Um, uh, or what could this, lead, you know, what could this lead toward? Maybe there's somebody who's following you and your podcast that then ends up following me and then plugs into one of my coaching consulting. And then maybe I hire them, right? They come and work for me full time. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. So it's almost like non-quantifiable, but it's, it's moving the needle forward on marketing your company and your brand is really the highest and best use of my time now is how do I continue to grow my brand, my personal brand? Because as I grow my personal brand, just like you, every time you post on Instagram about a deal, you get people wanting to buy a deal from you, sell a deal to you, lend you private money, or have you coach and consult them, right? And the same thing happened with me. That's how I got into uh, a lot of the coaching, consulting, and, and that kind of thing. And then that drives deal flow. That drives money flow. That drives operations and vendors and suppliers and uh, joint venture partners and all the other stuff. So I see myself as the marketing fuel to the engines of my real estate business. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, my, me doing this kind of stuff, being on social media, being on podcasts, going to speaking engagements, drives deal flow, drives money flow, drives operations. So you said kind of something interesting that you haven't put a lot of your own money into your deals. So 
what are you doing with your personal capital? Like, is it, are you just super cash heavy waiting for like the end of the world to, so you can buy up everything or are you investing that somewhere else or what are you doing? Yeah. When I say uh, I've only invested uh, 125 grand as an equity investor into my deals on the front end, that's more as, Hey, you know what? Like for the down payment, I'm going to become an equity investor in this deal. I'm going to put some cash into it and and, uh, get paid the same way that my private lenders do. What a lot of people don't talk about is, dude, there's there's other shit that happens all the time in business where you need a chunk of change. Like I, I got a phone call right before I hopped on here from my uh, my mortgage broker who's like, hey man, we're gonna do um, uh, we're gonna do a rate lock on the loan on the refinance that you're closing next week. I need one hundred fifty thousand dollars wired out tonight uh, before close of business today. That's gonna sit in an escrow account with the lender until the loan closes on Friday next week. All right. Like uh, now, I either scrap in order to go and raise private money, and then pay somebody for unsecured capital. It's going to cost twelve to twenty-four percent, or or at least let's call it two points in, um, on that. Or I can use my own money, right? And so, like that's typically what I do. Um, I usually right. stay pretty liquid, um, or I use it for business operations, you know, and and kind of get paid back from floating different, you know, operating expenses in the business, kind of a thing. So. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and dude, I've had some some deals that didn't go as smoothly as we thought. And instead of me going out and raising more money, I just kind of funneled my own cash into it in order to try to get it to the finish line. And then, uh, and then when we sell, then it all comes back. So you know, it's just it. it I, I wish I was super cash heavy, but that's just not not the case. Um, I'm liquid enough to qualify for you know ten, twenty, thirty million dollar loans, um, but not like you know. Donald Duck or or Scrooge <laughs> McDuck diving into coins. I just have money coming in, money going out all the time. I always struggle with like how liquid to stay because uh, personally, like the way I think about it is like, you know, the only point of cash at all is to buy cash flow. So when I have like money sitting in reserves and I'm like, this money's been sitting in reserves for a year and a half and has done nothing and I haven't needed it and it hasn't grown because mm-hmm. so I'm like, oh, am I playing it too safe? But I don't know. I'm not, I guess I'm not old enough to have been through like a crash and like really appreciate reserves, but it like pisses me off all the time when I'm like, damn, this money's just been sitting here in the case that like, you know, I've had, I have three months for this property. I have three months for that property plus repair reserves. I have three months for this property plus repair reserves. So I'm always kind of playing that balancing act of like, man, I, I, I honestly feel like I feel stressed when I have, when I'm less liquid, but I feel more motivated because I'm like, and I also feel like, well, this money didn't, it's not for nothing. Like it's out there working for me right now. So it's really hard for me to kind of be super liquid because anytime I am, I'm like, I also listen to Grant Cardone a lot. And he's like, I wake up and I look at my cash accounts every day. And I'm like, how do I get rid of this garbage? Like, where can I, where can I park it? What deal are we putting this in or whatever? So kind of, kind of interesting there. Um, well, well, I think, I think you've got a couple of good points on that. First is, uh, well, one, it gives you a level of confidence when you do have those cash reserves to go out and, and do more deals, do bigger deals. Cause you're in a good spot, right? You kind of dug a moat around, yourself financially and you know that nothing's going to be able to penetrate that moat. So there's peace of mind that comes with that for sure. Second thing is 
If you leave your own cash in your account, it forces you to go out and raise private money, which keeps you sharp in between the ears and always in the process of raising private money. So one of my early mentors is like, dude, lend your money to other people on their deals and borrow money for your deals. I was like, why would I ever do that? Uh, right? like, I, I like that. He goes, he goes, because it'll keep you sharp in between your ears and keep you empathetic for how you're raising money. And at the end of the day, Tim, I know your ambitions and it doesn't matter how much money you have, you will eventually run out with the level of your ambitions, right? And so you're going to have to raise money at some point, might as well just keep doing it all the time from the, from the very beginning. And so that's, that's kind of the philosophy. So I have, you know, some money invested into some prop tech, venture capital type stuff, um, own, you know, I have a beach house, I have a house back up in Ohio still. And, um, uh, some things like that where, uh, but really it's mostly operating capital. I'm, I'm reinvesting it into operating capital, marketing dollars, like a lot of that kind of stuff. And then um, uh, like short-term, short-term loans. Like somebody comes to me and, Hey man, I need, I need a, a 30 day bridge loan, you know, and I'll pay you three points or four points or something like that on it. Like, I love that. Right. Because I can, I can make four points, 4% on something in 30 days. Like what if I did that three, four times a year Then I'm making, 15% of my money and I'm still pretty liquid. It's just in and out right in a week right. or in three weeks or whatever. Um, so like if I'm you, that's what I would be doing with the existing stuff. Uh, that's, that's sitting in bank accounts, like your reserve accounts. And I'd be doing like transactional lending, you know, hard money loans, just while somebody's like buying the property, selling it same day. Like that's ideally what I would be putting my money into. Um, and then you said something else is like when, like there, there's, there's a level of stress when you have a lot of money in your bank account and there's a level of stress when you have no money in your bank account, right? So like, how do you make sure you have enough? Um, but, but to your point, like you get more motivated. As your financial thermostat on, on the level of money in your bank account lowers and lowers, you're like, oh shit, I got to get back to work. And it forces you to go out and do more deals, be creative and, and, um, and get a little bit more ambitious. So um, I'm, I'm similar, you know, I like what, what Cardone said is like, dude, he just, kind of hides money from himself, watches the financial thermostat come down. It's like, and, it's, and it keeps you motivated to go out and, and, uh, and make more money because um, you're just getting rid of the money, but you're, you're not getting rid of it by buying liabilities or blowing it on some shit. You're actually putting it into assets and putting it into loans and putting it into something that's actually going to make more money. So uh, I do like doing that, like hiding money for myself. What's been your, uh, your best deal so far and how'd you find it? Oh man. Um, I, I, I like there's a lot of deals that are still I'm sitting on and who knows, could be, could turn into grand slams, could turn into home runs, could be base hits. You know um, I go into deals thinking I don't need home runs. I just need base hits. I think base hits win baseball games. And so I look for good deals. If it's a good deal, dude, I'm taking it down. I'm not, I passed up on so many amazing opportunities. I'm talking like B plus a minus kind of areas of, uh, of Cleveland back in, you know, when the market was like uh, at its trough, right? Like when, when nobody was in real estate and I would turn down apartments in a class areas for 20 to $25,000 per unit that I could have bought them for that would rent for seven to $800 a month. And I turned them down because I was buying apartment buildings for 10 to $15,000 a mm-hmm. unit. I was like, who the hell would pay 25 grand when you can get this over here for $16,000, yeah. you know? And I, dude, I've passed up hundreds, thousands of doors 
because of that. And I was like, dude, why was I so friggin' stupid and greedy and only looking for home runs? I should have just done base hit after base hit after base hit. And so that's what I, that's what my mindset is today. I look for good deals. Um, and we, we kind of balance it out. We have probably for every three or four apartments that we buy that are already cash flowing or value add kind of apartment complexes, we're building one more. Um, and so uh, that's kind of like the ratio. So that way we got something that's going to be a great long-term hold. It's got some equity upside. We got some things that are more value add type properties where they're already cash flowing, lo- lesser risk, can get into cash flow a little bit faster, uh, but there may be heavier lifts in a uh, little bit more renovations, a little bit more tenant turnover, a lot of that kind of stuff. And then there's other stuff that's just pretty much stabilized, right? 90% occupied from day one. And it, it's more of a long-term play of just bumping up the rents. And you're just kind of balancing out those asset classes. And then the other thing that I have is like these unique type of properties, like uh, the island that I just bought, the mountain house that I bought, which are like high-end, very unique Airbnb, short-term rental kind of properties. Ways to take amazing, amazing assets that are actually liabilities, turn them into cash flowing assets, and then still have a lifestyle opportunity to utilize those. So the mountain house, I have access to it two and a half months a year. And then I rent it out the rest of the year and it pays for the investors, the, or the investors have access to it, pays for their returns and it covers all of our operating expenses. And it gives me a ridiculous house up in the mountains that I can use for two to three months a year. Uh, the island, right? About a 110 acre island that is an hour and a half from my house in mainland United States, one of the most pristine, untouched, biggest private islands in the entire country or in the entire Southeastern portion of the U S and I was able to buy it. And I was like, how do I not have to pay for this myself? Well, I'm going to put like little campsites is kind of going to be the goal, like a glamping type of a campsite where people can come there, hang out, stay in like a, an upscale safari style tent um, and go boating and canoeing and kayaking and uh, paddle boarding and fishing and um, hit the different beaches all around town, like all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's figuring out and getting creative with different ways on how to take a liability and turn it into a cash flowing asset. And so um, yeah, it didn't really answer your question of what's my best deal. Um, but especially because I've been investing for a long time, dude, there's a lot of deals that I bought for my first apartment building. I bought for $30,000 and it was an eight, an eight unit apartment. You know, So it's like you bought it for $4,000 a door. It's a pretty good deal, right? But so it was a different market back then. It was a different asset class. So I would say... I don't try to go and get grand slams or home runs for every deal. I try to get base hits, right? And if it's a base hit, man, I'm taking that deal down. Yeah. And uh, one interesting thing, I don't know if you do this, but I do this all the time, is I look at deals that I've passed up in the past and just see like, where are they today? And more often than not, I'm always like, fuck, I should have bought that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's kind of funny because... um like a lot of the time, like, I, I mean, I had been thinking about real estate investing for years before I actually did it. So I look back at a deal that I passed in 2018 and, uh, for no real reason other than I just got like nervous yeah. and, uh, I'm like, damn, I would have just, I would have killed it on that. And like yep. even deals that I, I looked at at the time and I was like, ah, I don't think this is a good deal. I think it's just like a base hit. Um, yeah. but my, my issues, like I, I have like this fear of like, well, what if I go for this deal? And then that'll stop me from going from another, for another deal, which is yeah. just like, a, it's, it's like not an abundance way. It's of a thinking. limiting mindset, man. Yeah. It's scarcity yeah. mindset. Um, you just got to get out of your own way. You gotta be like, I can go and find the money if I come across another deal. Right. Like it's yeah. just, 
there is some some opportunity cost, right? If it's a it's a huge renovation project or it's a huge new 